to Chatting with Asians. On this episode, I chat with Dr. Connie Wan. She's one of the co-founders, along with Jenny Wan, of AAPI Women Lead, which aims to support the research of and bring awareness to the stories of AAPI women identified, women, and girls, and their experiences with various forms of violence. We talk about what it means to build solidarity within and outside the AAPI community, and what's been giving us hope during 2020. So here's my chat with Dr. Connie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Dr. Connie. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm good. Um, I just, well, definitely, I wanted to say first off that I so much admire the work that you do through AAPI Women Lead. You know, you launched recently an online series called Community Care, and I think you just do such an incredible amount of work constantly updating and sharing COVID-19 resources. But I can only imagine it just must be such a challenging time right now, especially as a community leader. So I just wanted to ask you first off how you're doing and how you're feeling right now. Well, thank you for asking that. Uh, I think right now I'm feeling a whole bunch of things, mixed emotions, including anger, rage, sadness, deep sadness. And then there's also a part of me that um, knows I'm, I'm recommitted to this work uh, around ending racial violence, gender-based violence. It's just a lot of painful work. Mm-hmm. So those are the, the feelings. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm okay, too. I think it's just been a lot this past month. I think when it comes, I, I'm still so new and curious about what it means to stand in solidarity with other communities of color. And so I think, you know, in kind of my journey to, to better educate myself, um, it's definitely been tough to kind of, um, I don't know, just feel, just feel a lot of sadness and anger right now. Um, but I think what I really love if there's any silver lining is that it's really spurred a lot of conversations with my friends and some of my family. Um, and I think they're all really productive conversations so far. So I think I'm happy about that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a part of why we created the community care series. The community care series for AAPI women lead is only one facet of all the work that we've been doing I think it's important to note that the uh, AAPI Women Lead is made up of two and a half people. That would be me, Jenny, my sister, the other Mm co-founder, an intern, and about five other volunteers who come in to help make some of the events possible. But a lot of the work that you see is done by a very small group of people. Yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that it's not just me, but that there's mm-hmm. a couple of us who are really committed, maybe spending 12 hours a day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Happen. The whole team does an incredible amount of work. I mean, it it looks like it's the team of, you know, double the amount. And it's just, it's amazing to see the kind of passion um, that everyone at AAPI Women Lead has for, for the causes um, that you guys are focused on. Thanks. It's you know the other thing that is big for AAPI Women Lead is that we partner with our our friends, um, mm-hmm. our 
our community leaders and community members. Um, so they, it, it becomes a bigger production largely because we have so many partners who are teammates. Yeah. Um, I know when it comes to kind of your work focusing around um, AAPI women, I think especially with um, coronavirus discrimination that's been going on, I've heard the statistic that women or Asian women are harassed at twice the rate of men, um, according to Stop AAPI Hate. And I felt like one of the most impactful statements that I read on the organization's website, on AAPI Women Leads website, was that we must consider the different ways that this current anti-Asian climate, especially as it relates to Asian women, is related to the fantasy that we are subservient, docile dragon ladies, or have never experienced racism. And, you know, for me personally, I grew up with my mother a majority of my childhood. And so I feel like I've always admired how resilient and courageous AAPI women have always been, I think, especially in the face of white nationalism and imperialism. And so my question is, what can people do right now to be better allies to AAPI women and beyond COVID-19? There are a few things that people can do in order to be allies to us. I think one is recognizing that we have been experiencing violence beyond COVID and that violence looks like, you know, the images of us being hypersexualized subservient or not having experienced any kind of um, violence or oppression, right? So there's this invisibilization of who we are. Mm -hmm. I think the first step of being an ally is to recognize uh, who that, that we are very vulnerable to violence, actually, historically. Uh, and that dates back to colonial wars, you know, where our communities and our women um, were became survivors of sexual violence, rape, assault. That has to be in our the forefront of people's understanding of um, Asian and Pacific Islander women. That's one. I think the other ways that people can be allies is to not commit the violence against our communities. True. I think that's big. <laughs> Don't do it. Right. Uh, <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's this kind of embedded, un, like uh, unconscious sometimes, and I don't even care if it's conscious or unconscious. I would prefer for you not to have a fetish of our communities because mm-hmm. that's a form of violence. And by fetish, I mean, do not objectify us. Um, do not imagine us without complexities. Um, do not engage with us as if we're not human beings, right? We're not here to be your sexual fetishes. I don't like it when people say, you know, I heard you guys are subservient and I heard you treat your men really well. That's not a compliment to me. So I feel like pump your brakes and not do that. Um, That's the second thing. Uh, The third thing is to intervene when you hear it, right? Because I know people make these jokes when we are not around um, or even in our presence, intervening is really important and checking people. One of the reasons AAPI Women Lead was even created was because Jenny 
was in corporate America. She was in corporate for a while and she kept experiencing sexual harassment. You know, clients of her company would say things like, I want to go back to Vietnam. I want to go to Vietnam and marry a mail order bride. Mm. Um, in high school, when I was growing up, a lot of the white male teachers I had ended up somehow with one of the students and the, the white male teachers, the, the, the students would often be Asian students. Oh my gosh. So it's not, um, I think people need to intervene and, and recognize how common that is. I think people need to recognize that sometimes there's a lot of violence from, you know, um, Americans across races that go over to our native homelands um, and they exploit the women over there and the girls over there without consequences, whether that means an uncle that's like 60 years old getting with a 16-year-old in Vietnam or the Philippines. That's common practice, unfortunately, in too many of our communities. Um, and that needs to be... Uh, that needs to be um, intervened upon. So I guess those are the three things, right? Like recognize that these things are happening, um, don't do it, and then intervene when it happens. Uh, those are the three things that I, I would see that as allyship to me. It's so important to recognize that. And I think it's also a learning experience for myself to hear that coming from you and to be able to share that with everybody. Um, one of the other things that I learned um, what from watching actually one of the interviews on hard worker, I believe, was that you had mentioned that there are other types of anti-Asian violence happening. And some of them I had never thought of, of ever thought of before, honestly. Um, I think the first kind that you had mentioned was that there are community members who are on the front lines working and being assaulted. Um, that I've heard of a lot, unfortunately. The second is the essential workers who are not being supported. And the third, the third one, actually, the, this one really caught me um, by surprise was that there are those who are part of the informal economy, like sex workers or incarcerated folks who don't have support networks at all. And I just, it was just so enlightening to hear that as like, to recognize that as a form of anti-Asian violence. And so my question to you is, are there any resources to help combat these types of anti-Asian violence? And do you also have any thoughts on how we can bring these issues to mainstream politics or education or just even to the forefront of conversations? A couple of things is that AAP Women Lead is really big on expanding our definition of violence, right? Because right now people are emphasizing hate violence as interper and interpersonal forms of violence, like things they experience on the street, which is very true. But we also have to look at the systemic violence, right? Like health inequalities, access to health, lack of access to health care, lack of language um, resources to health care. Like those things are, are forms of violence too. Um, and I, I, I think even the poverty rates of so many of our community members, Southeast Asians in particular, Chinatowns in New York, um, those are forms of anti-Asian violence that we need to highlight. So that's one thing. The other thing, uh, more directly to your point, is when I say the informal economy, or when we're talking about the informal economy, we are definitely talking about sex workers, undocumented workers, people who are not, um, you know, 
don't have the job security. They're not getting the benefits of these um, these COVID checks. They don't register, right? We have to think about how a lot of our community members are um, working under, you know, especially undocumented. They're they're working for they're being exploited, and then they're working under the table. Mm-hmm. Um, the ways that we can support them. There are a number of mutual aid projects that are going on. There are sex worker mutual aid projects. Um, APR Women Lead is hosting a couple of mutual aid projects, relief funds. So if people want to apply or or, um, if they know of undocumented communities that need money, we have um, a mutual aid relief fund for them. Um, I think it's also about Using platforms like this, getting into social media and and supporting um, sex workers who are different from sex trafficking survivors. That's another way. So use your platform to educate. Um, And I think the fourth way to support is to actually, um, again, look at the complexities of Asian and Pacific Islander communities. We're not, number one, we're not the same. Asian and Pacific Islanders are not the same. But then two, we have to um, recognize that we're not, we, we are very complicated humans <laughs> and we come from very different sectors, class-wise, ethnicity, um, refugee experiences. That's probably the biggest intervention or biggest way to help is to recognize how many of us are not from, we're not all East Asians and we don't all have plush jobs. We're not all doctors. Um, I myself as a former sex worker who has a PhD, I don't even know how common that is. Um, but I, I think highlighting how, how like, you know, diverse we are, that's a part of the, the, um, the way to support too. And then garment workers, garment workers, undocumented garment workers are a huge part of our, our community. And they aren't seen as, as um, people who are struggling under COVID right now. Um, so I think that's some, a, a way to answer your question. Thank you so much for highlighting that, especially the garment workers. I, again, like you said, it's just our community is full of complexities within each person and then within the community and outside the community. And I think it's just so important to highlight these complexities and issues that just aren't part of the mainstream conversation. Um, So thank you. Thank you for highlighting those. One of the things I just absolutely love about the AAPI Women Lead and the work that you guys do is that you, the team has been hosting conversations in public about exploring inclusion and solidarity work with other communities of color. And you know, with COVID-19, it's just, we're seeing the Black and Indigenous community suffering at an incredibly disproportionate rate, just because of limited resources and access to healthcare. And so I think just kind of living through all of this, it just really highlights the fact that communities communities of color in the U.S. have always faced violence as an effect of systemic racism, but it's also recognizing that our oppressions and experiences are definitely not the same. And especially when it comes to the model minority myth that's, you know, used to perpetuate narratives of anti-Blackness and anti-Indigenous, how do you navigate difficult conversations around racial solidarity? 
between Asians and and other communities of color or within? Good question. Would you have time to answer both? <laughs> A couple things. Um, if we're talking about Asians in particular, which in itself is a huge, diverse population. It, um, I do a couple of things in terms of building quote-unquote racial solidarity. The first thing is I recognize that racial solidarity is a process and a goal, right? Um, I don't assume racial solidarity. I know it to be quite laborious and a struggle. So to bring that back, racial solidarity for me and AAPI Women Lead is a process and it's a struggle. We start from that premise. And then in terms of organizing with other Asians, um, one of the things that I do is I remind people that many of our communities within the Asian diaspora are survivors of violence. So I purposely remind us our histories of violence because too often our communities tend to disassociate as a way of of um, coping. We disassociate from those histories very often. And then we deflect by saying those, you know, those things, racism only happens to black communities or Latinx communities, right? If they even ever acknowledge indigenous communities. So I purposely remind us of our historic struggles and our historic forms of violence. And then in that, I remind us of the wars. And then I bring us back, you know, here to the United States and its territories. And I remind us that when we entered this land, this land had a genocidal project. Um, It came through a genocidal project of indigenous peoples. And then I remind our communities around the history of chattel slavery uh, and that we entered into this country into essentially a war zone. So ourselves being survivors of war, coming into a different war zone and a war zone that our history books do not teach us about. They conveniently forget, leave out these narratives specifically from that perspective of war, right? Or genocide. And so here we come in, not remembering our own histories, then coming in and to a country that like structurally forgets everyone else's histories. And then we're supposed to just coexist. None of that is going to happen and everything will implode. So I remind us of these histories and then I, I tell us to um, be reflective around a long-standing history and then what does it mean for us to be in relationship to each other accordingly. I say to us the histories of anti-Asian violence is made possible through anti-Blackness and through anti-Indigeneity. I also remind us that our privileges to even forget our histories or any kind of contingent privileges we have come from and are made possible through anti-Blackness and anti-Indigeneity. The violence and the privileges are made possible through anti-Blackness and anti-Indigeneity. That's the the long work from the Asian um, diaspora. And we also have to recognize our relationship to Pacific Islanders and Hawaii, right? Mm. All of whom have our occupied actually not all they're they've either come from colonial experiences as well climate refugees and or currently occupied territories Mm -hmm. so when we hear api we have to look at yo actually it's not all the same what are the differences and how do we relate to each other 
And how are we potentially occupying their lands? So that's the work inside. Then when we do the work with other communities of color, Black, Indigenous community, that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. For me, I've been in this work for about, you know, in this life, it's not even work, for about 20-something years. And it's about building relationships. It's about um, being accountable to our privileges. It's about um, protecting and defending lives that you know are being um, targeted in this country. And then it's also about, you know, sharing our experiences, sufferings, our violences in relationship with other communities of color. It's about um, building relationships. It's not about conflating. It's not about saying my struggle is the same as yours because they're actually very different. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also about deferring when we don't know. Uh, And that gains for me, in my experience, in that type of relating, um, it's how I've, it's it's actually how to be a good friend. Building solidarity is about how to be a good friend to me. Um, and there will be times where I mess up, and I have to say I'm freaking sorry. And it's up to the other person whether or not they're going to forgive me, and I have to understand that. You know, so solidarity to me is about um, recognition, relating, being accountable, and it's uh, about humility. This is just from speaking from my own experiences, like I think when I first started becoming more aware and started becoming more interested in civic engagement and like social and racial justice, I think I was just incredibly intimidated because it just, there was a lot of vocabulary. There's a lot of history. There's also just an acknowledgement that I don't know everything and that I still have a lot to learn and that there's, there's always a lot to learn moving forward. To the other point that I want to make, it's a friendship, but also it's a political friendship, right? So in that sense, I have been very, I've been very big on, on, on understanding not only Black Lives Matter, but Black resistance matters, Black uprisings matter, Black power matters, right? If the foundation of this country is anti-Indigenous and anti-Black, then that means we have to actually disrupt this entire foundation if we want to be in solidarity. We have to disrupt that is built upon people's lives and their deaths. And so we support them. We like, you know, the, we donate money where we can. We are on the front lines with people if we're able to. Um, we step back when we're when we are supposed to. You know, we um organize, educate, we follow political platforms that people are moving forward. Um, like right now what's going on with Minnesota, I've been looking a lot, uh, at the, um, black visions collective, right. They have a political agenda, a campaign where they're saying things like defund police, mm. defend black lives. I'm going to follow that agenda, right? <laughs> like yeah. let me see how I can support. Just to kind of like take a step back. I'm so happy that we're having this conversation right now. Um, I think when I started planning for this episode, you know, everything that's just been going on, especially with racial violence um, coming into mainstream media yet again, it just, you know, I think I've, I've really taken a lot out of this conversation already. Um, kind of one of the last questions I had to close out the episode, you know, I think with everything going on, especially with COVID-19, it's just, it's exacerbated a lot of systemic issues. And I think it's just stressful for everyone to process right now. And so to kind of end on a more positive note, what gives you hope right now? I think 
What gives me hope is one that people are fed up. They've been fed up, but more collectively we're fed up. We're tired of the deaths. We're tired of the suffering. And people are not um, mincing that anger. They're not muting it. So the rage is present. That gives me hope. And it gives me hope that we're all coming together, wanting to do something about it and are doing something about it. Those, those things give me hope. I think, you know, when I hear you know, politicians that I actually respect say abolition, prison abolition on public platforms, I, that gives me hope. When I'm in conversation with social media influencers who are also speaking the language of grassroots movements, that gives me hope because that means our messages have been getting to the general public. That, that inspires me. Um, it inspires me when people like you call, like call in and say, Hey, I've been following your work. I think it's important. I want to help spread the word. Like that inspires me. So our collective rage inspires me. The fact that we want to create a whole different world that definitely inspires me because we're going to have to do it. Otherwise we're doomed. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's that or nothing, right? Yeah, so, right. Uh, good thing you're not choosing nothing. So, <laughs> this has been, I mean, I have so many episodes that are my favorites. I don't know. This might be a top one for me for this season for sure. <laughs> I, hope so. I hope it's helpful. Um, and I'm, I, I'm grateful that you want to keep expanding and sharing and educating folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also, it's just my hope that even after this episode ends and we edit it and all that, I just want to continue the conversations, whether it's with you, whether it's with other people that I know or within social media, I just want to continue talking about these issues. Um, So thank you so much again for sharing a lot of your knowledge and insight. I just, I really appreciate it. I'm glad. glad. Thank you for talking with me and inviting me on. Yeah, of course. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Dr. Connie. For the latest thoughts on Asian American issues, follow me on Instagram at Chatting with Asians. Music was produced by Paulina Vo. You can follow her on Instagram at Vobot, spelled V-O-B-O-T, or on SoundCloud at Paulina Vo. Transcription and production assistance is by Marge Ostani. Thanks so much for listening.